Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Peter, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How about yourself? Doing fantastic. I'm loving podcasting. This This is fun to be with you, and I've been listening to a bunch, and I heard that you're listening to a bunch as well. Sure. I, I love it too. I, yeah. I, I find them entertaining, interesting. It's just it's like listening to stories. Yeah, absolutely. And you have brought a guest onto the show today. I Today's have. guest is a longtime business associate and friend of yours, Mark Bronfman. What are you and Mark going to be talking about today? Well, Mark and I are, are we're both affiliated with Sagemark Consulting, a division of, of Lincoln Financial mm-hmm. Advisors. And and, and he's just one of the most creative and hardworking advisors I've ever met. And, and over the years, he's really become a friend. And, and I'm just so excited to, to, to chat with him today. He's got what I consider a really interesting perspective and approach. And I think our listeners will, will really appreciate what he has to say. You know, every time I'm talking with Mark, every time I hear him talk, because he, he is often speaking to other advisors in our network. And um, I just find I learn something every single time. He's just a great resource. And I'm glad he's willing to share his knowledge and expertise with us today. So so Mark, thanks for joining us. Um, it's a it's a great, great honor to have you on. Uh, you and your team focus on the needs of the the middle market business owner. And so I think it's just helpful to kind of set the stage. Who are your who are middle market business owners and what problem or problems are you trying to solve? Thank you, Peter. And it's a joy to be part of your podcast. And I've known you for a long time. And as we say in Yiddish, you are one heck of a mensch. <laughs> and it's great to be part of this podcast. Thank you. So, uh, Peter, do you know uh, what the main sources of wealth are in America? No, tell me. So there's long-term family wealth that goes from generation to generation. There is executive wealth of people that earn it in large corporations. There is wealth that comes from sports and entertainment, those kind of things. But one very big source of wealth in America is business ownership. And business owners, middle market business owners, typically I would say are about 50 employees, up to about 1,000 employees. From a revenue standpoint, maybe they're $10 million in revenue, up to about 100, 200, or even up to a billion dollars in revenue. Once you get past a billion dollars in revenue, you're probably stretching the definition of middle market. And we have a practice that focuses on the needs of business owners. And as I've told you before, Peter, you can't get an A grade. Remember those A grades in college? You can't get an A grade in the business owner side unless you get an A grade on the personal side. And what we try to do is we try to really morph and integrate business planning and personal planning for these middle market business owners. And as we talked about, 
personal finance is more personal than it is finance. And business owners have these voices in their heads. They're saying all these different kinds of things. And we try to make those be proactive, to be valuable, not only for the business owner, but for their employees, their families, and their community. Yeah, that I think you've 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 hit it right there on the on on the nail. Your approach is really from a, a, a the perspective of trying to help the business owner solve objectives, whatever they might be, and and it's mostly personal. That's my experience with 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 any of our clients, business owners or executives. Um, these are all personal issues, and uh, it's complicated. Yeah, you know uh, Daniel Kahneman. Did you ever hear that name before? I have. Yeah, I Daniel Kahneman. Stuff. Uh, a sociologist, won the Nobel Prize for Economics, sociologist won the Nobel Prize for Economics for his work on prospect theory. And prospect theory basically is about the law of diminishing returns. And business owners are just like everyone else, which is once they have achieved a certain level of wealth, they can share more of their wealth with their families, share with the community, but most importantly, share it with those people that got them where they got to, which is typically their 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 co-owners, their executives, and their employees. And in many ways, it's an extended family. And we love to think of our clients as 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 family. And we are brought into situations where, in the end, business owners turn to us and they say, "Mark, you don't understand how valuable your services have been." to me, my family, to my employees, to the whole community. And that just makes me feel like this is a wonderful gift that I've got to give to my clients. Yeah, it really is. You, you, you just, it's helping communities more than, more than even just the individual. It really is. Mark, can you give some examples of, um, of, of, of some business owner objectives that you have helped solve over the years? Well, um, I would say that the biggest objective many business owners have these days in the current uh, environment of the great resignation is how to attract, retain, reward, and help executives retire in style. And that's increasingly challenging. I work especially in the services marketplace, whether or not that's healthcare, financial services, engineering, architecture, IT, government contractors, et cetera. And these are all companies that live and buy by live and die by the talent. And so as we create programs that can attract and retain key people we are basically helping business owners achieve their biggest objective, which is to be able to grow. The other big objective is succession. And succession is typically known as maybe an exit strategy, but succession is a much bigger thing. Ex succession for a middle market business owner is an extension of their identity. So when they basically slow down some to be able to have the talent to be able to take over and keep running the business, but they can, but they, the business owner, can still stay on as the key mover and shaker, strategist, etc. I liken it to the Bill Gates strategy, which is Bill Gates and Microsoft basically 
ran the business for a long time, and then he handed the business over to his lieutenants, and he took on the business that he loved, which was software development. Most business owners have one or two things that they love and four or five things that they don't love about being a business owner. And if they can keep what they love and delegate what they don't love, they are in just a wonderful situation. And I would think that they build more value. for uh, the, the business becomes more valuable when you've got that, that team able to, um, to, do, to do, do all of the things that need to be done. Absolutely, Peter. What what is what is what is the the strategy that you are typically utilizing to help these business owners achieve the, these objectives? Well, we have a line of business that we call strategic incentives. Strategic incentives, and strategic incentives cover three basic pillars. Pillar one is around leadership. How do you help a business scale through attractive? executive compensation, rewards, objectives for the business owner. The second pillar is one of ownership, which is how do you bring in new owners into a business and help them in a way to refresh their capital structure, which is a big business term word for basically how, how, how you capitalize the company, how you deal with share price, how you pick a choice of entity, whether or not that's C corporation, S corporation, LLC, et cetera. So it's, it's leadership, ownership, and the third pillar is stewardship, which is how do you help business owners and their executives with all those personal things that Peter, you do so absolutely well, which is around their estate planning, their investment planning, their insurance planning, and integrate all these things together. And when we put together a plan for a business owner that covers leadership, ownership, and stewardship, typically we are providing the best work that we can be doing. And, and, and this is very concrete and it's, it's kind of a black box. There aren't a lot of advisors who are doing this kind of work. So it's not well known in the marketplace. And so, you know, when our clients tell us that they are thrilled with our work, it's music to our ears. What well, what I what I keep on hearing you saying is that is that your these incentives are designed to help the client meet the objectives, whatever they might be, help the business owner. And I think that that's 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 your laser focus when you start. Is you know what what is what are you trying to achieve, Mister or Mrs. Business Owner? What do you want for your what do you want for your employees? What do you want for your family? What do you what do you want? And, and Peter, you probably have seen this as well. You ask someone what their objectives are, and the answers will vary based on who's in the room. <laughs> if you ask yeah. them alone, they tend to have this sense of pride and machismo almost, if it's a man, you bring in their spouse, you get a much different answer. <laughs> you bring in their CFO, because they typically haven't shared with the CFO or their, C or their chief human resources officer, what's going on, you'll get a different answer. And, and so will the real objectives please stand up? And finding those objectives 
is really part of the engagement. And we use a whole bunch of tools to try to ferret these things out. Sometimes it's numerical in terms of scenarios. When would you start feeling okay about value sharing? Sometimes it's just pictorial. I have this um, great uh, example that I use, which is I draw three graphs for a business owner and say, which graph do you want to be on? The first graph is a silver spoon graph, which is you end up being very wealthy early in your career and you stay top of the world the whole time through. The second graphic is like a donkey moving up a, a, a mountain, slowly growing and moving up. And the third one is EKG, which is you have successes, you have failures, business is, is very volatile, and almost nobody picks the silver spoon. Hmm. People want to try to take a swing, and they're always trying to do better than anyone else. And sometimes the best thing we can go do for clients is to help them understand the true objectives is not about beating your neighbor in selling your business for the best price, but really having a great sense of what you're doing for the community and what you're helping people with entirely. And people are not open necessarily to sharing kind of things. And and we have a, a, a peer, Peter, uh, on, on the West Coast, John Marshall, who I've seen him with business owners. And by the time that he's finished with them, they are crying because they haven't emoted these kind of things with other people before. And 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 then just they they're opening up so much. And so when we do that with with clients, it ends up being a beautiful thing. What 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 kinds of questions are you asking the, the, these these business owners? How do you bring it out of them? <laughs> Well, the biggest, probably the biggest question I ever ask goes back to Herbert Stein, an economist in the 1960s. Do you remember Herbert Stein? I do not. <laughs> so um, Herbert Stein had identified two kinds of people, a maximizer and a sufficer. A maximizer is someone who wants to do better than everyone else in almost every transaction. And a sufficer is someone who basically is good as good enough, law of diminishing returns. Once I achieve something, I really am willing to go do it. And asking someone, are you a maximizer and are you a sufficer? And getting their explanation in regard to that. And then seeing it come out from their behavior and then pointing to it and says, well, you told me you were a sufficer. Now you're acting like a maximizer. You're trying to maximize your share. I'm not telling you to change your opinion, but I'm just trying to bring it up to you. And people will say, yeah, I, I was doing that. And people end up not really knowing, understanding what, what they're trying to achieve. When, when, when you're dealing with strategic incentives, you can try to give those around you big dopamine hits, euphoria. Or you could try to be giving people a sense of, stability, a patriarch, contentment. What are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to do for your people? And we help with those broader issues. And then we come in and we layer on top of those very specific technical and tax rules and technical and tax strategies 
that make all these things come together. So it's kind of like the yin, the yin and the yang. You need both the soft and the hard. And when you pull these things together, again, it, it, it's a very unusual series of services that we're offering. Hi, this is Catherine Broy from the Raskin Planning Group. Apologies for the interruption. Thanks so much for listening to Wealth is in the Details. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, please visit our website at www.raskinplanning.com. Look for the podcast's show notes and connect with us via social media. Yeah, I mean, human beings are complicated and uh, <laughs> our, our, our emotions, they get in the way. We don't even often know why we, we react in the ways we react. We don't always know why we want what we want. It's, um, it's hard. And, and the business owner typically has spent a lifetime and they're so emotionally engaged in, in this thing that they have and they, they've, that they've built. It's, it's like a child. Well, and, and all the emotions that a business owner has, the key executives have in their own way. They have their own set of issues they're trying to go deal with. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you are running a business, a middle market business, and you've got a, a business that's maybe worth $5 million. And you want to sell or give to someone 10% of the business because they had become a key confidant, a key executive, a key employee, et cetera. So 10% of $5 million is $500,000. That's a big number. You can go home to your spouse and say, honey, I just signed up for a $500,000 note today, and maybe you'll make that happen. But let's presume that the company grew by a factor of four times. Now the business is not worth $5 million, it's worth $20 million. And 10% of that, 10% of, of $20 million is now $2 million. No one goes home to their spouse and says, honey, I just signed up for a $2 million note because it's too risky. People buy in for the price between the price of a, a, a car and the price of a house. Hmm. Between the price of $30,000, maybe $500,000. But they have a risk preference and they won't take on a, a, an obligation that's so, that's so much higher than what they are used to. So there's the, there's the economics and the economic curves of human beings, those that are the grantor and the business owner and the one in charge. But then there's the, then there's the human philosophies and the human psychology of those that are coming on up. And you need to merge both of those things together. That's why going through the essence of leadership, ownership, and stewardship is so important. You got to make it work for all the stakeholders in the situation. It's got to be a win-win. It has to be a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. Do do um do you find that businesses go through um, different cycles, and 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 do circ how do how do those cycles affect your planning work? Yeah, there's um, uh, there are times when a business owner, if I can use the term, is sailing, the winds at the back. Talent is clawing to get into your organization. You have a stable set of, of positive cash flow and your strategy is working. 
and you're, you're, you're feeling top of the world. Then there's times that you're rowing and rowing into a big, a big wind and, and you're dealing with the great resignation. You're dealing with competition. And there's a lot of companies I know of that are competing with the likes of Apple and Amazon and Google and Facebook, et cetera, for technical talent. And they are really rowing these days. And you need a different series of tech tools and techniques when not you're sailing or rowing. And people don't understand that. One of the practices that we follow uh, is uh, trying to put together value sharing architectures that meet a strategic cycle over the next three to five years. Because you can't always come up with an answer that's going to be uh, relevant uh, for the next 10 years, 20 years, et cetera. So we may use plans that are three to five years. And then at that point in time, we may rip them up. They may have run their whole cycle. So for example, you may tell someone that if you're with me for three to five years, I'm going to end up vesting you in a certain amount of stock. And that's a three to five year cycle that may be during the sailing period time. But if it's rowing, you know, I may need to give away more upfront. I may need to spend more money. And uh, so, so the cycles really matter a lot. The industry cycles, by the way, are getting faster and faster. I'm not sure if you noticed that, you know, in uh, uh, the 1960s, the average stock was on the SP 500 for 60 years. In 2020, the average stock was on the SP 500 for 20 years. What happened to all those other all those other companies? They got bought up. They went bankrupt, etc. The cycles are going faster and faster, and it's just accelerating even through this environment right now. So one of the things that I'm most proud about is that we are not a solution in in search of a problem. We are problem solvers using all kinds of tools, whether or not it's synthetic equity, whether or not that's profits interest, true equity, cash-based plans like cascaded bonus plans. We have tools and techniques that we can use in executive compensation and strategic incentives that basically marry with the behavioral economics that the business owner really feels that he's in. So, you know, I just find this, you know, so interesting because you, you're in your work that you're doing, you're, you're not the hammer. You, you've heard this before. If you're a ha you know, if you're a hammer, the world's a nail <laughs> and, and that's not your, that's not your approach at all. Uh, you're, 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 you come in and it's a, it's a blank slate in a lot of ways. And w you're dealing again, focusing on those goals and, and exit strategies. How, how do the different business owners with different goals and ex exit strategies, how, how does that affect your planning? It, it, it's got to go the ability of going whichever way the client wants to go. So we were brought in recently by a business owner. I'll just name him Brad. That's not his real name, but I'll name him Brad. And Brad brought us in for the leadership pillar of strategic incentives. We get into it and we realize that Brad really wants to have succession. He's bringing on people, but his bigger objective is to be able to retire at some point in time in the future. Brad is around 58 years old. And he thinks that if he can bring someone on, 
give him five, six years of tutelage, he'll be able to have flexibility. So then we start taking a look at succession strategies. And one of the strategies that we shared with him was something that's called an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan. And that was a plan that basically helps get employees a, a piece of the pie. So in some way you're getting, you're, you're solving the first issue of, of uh, leadership, but now you're getting into ownership. And then we got into estate planning with him because he's, he's, he, he's divorced. If his business uh, was, was subject to a, a Brad passing away, there'd be a gigantic estate planning tax. Uh, and so we had to deal with all three of the issues of leadership, ownership, and stewardship. And and Brad has been a great referral for us. In fact, he gave us another referral today, but really being able to move to where the objectives are. So we are not a hammer in search of a nail. We really are business owner-centric, objective-centric. I happen to be a CPA. I'm a non-practicing CPA. Uh, but I know my way around the tax rules, know my way around uh, valuation, know my way around em emotional aspects of succession. And uh, working inside the Lincoln family is such a collaborative environment that we have so many experts and expertise that we could draw upon to be able to have a full fabric of advisors for our clients. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the, I find the the whole Lincoln team and network is a, just a fantastic resource for for all of us and and because of that we're able to significantly provide uh, important services to our clients so it's we're we're both lucky in that way you know you've given us an example of, of esop as, as as one of the one of the the kinds of things that you're you're looking at can you give a couple of other examples of of specific strategies that you that you might deploy for for a a, a client that's looking for succession planning or leadership planning? So let me take a step back and answer that question by saying that um, the strategies must be purposeful in regard to what your succession strategy is. So if you plan on a change in control, which means selling the business or giving up control of the business, then these days, the best practice is to use synthetic equity or a change of control bonus plan. Why? Because it's easily, uh, because it's funded by the buyer. It's, it's very easy to reallocate. It's frictionless. There's no tax on the grant of those units. And so when you, if you plan on selling the business using a, a, using a change of control bonus plan through synthetic equity or shadow shares or ghost shares, et cetera, is something that we specialize in and, and and those are a great a great solution in that environment. On the other hand, if your goal is to have a perpetual organization, let's say you're an engineering firm, an architecture firm, you've been around for 40, 50 years, you want to be around for another 50 years, then you can be using a whole nother set of tools and techniques. Typically that is what we would call the sell, pay, and convey techniques, the three ways to move ownership within a privately held business, you could sell ownership to someone, you could pay ownership to someone, or you can convey ownership to someone at no cost. And that's where we would use things like restricted stock, 
profits, interest in LLC. We can end up using hybrid approaches with different kind of loans environment. So we could end up using all kinds of transfer true equity solutions. Let's say alternatively that you want to keep it in the family, that you've been running the business for 20 years. Now you've got a son or daughter in the business and you want to bring on a professional COO to train that next generation. Then what you're doing is you're really using estate planning techniques and you're using cash-based plans such as 162 bonus plans or you might be able to use some sort of deferred compensation plan that benefits the, the, the non-family executive who's going to be in there for generation management and teach your children how to get to the next level. Alternatively, if you're going to be in an ESOP, then you don't want to use any of the tools and techniques we talked about before. You're probably going to want to use a different set of techniques that really are working with the often volatile capital structure of an ESOP. As an ESOP goes through its recapitalization, it, you, you, you borrow more over time. The stock value can be going up and down. So typically with an ESOP, we're using enterprise value unit plans, valuing the enterprise value, not the equity value, because that, 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 that keeps out the, 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 the debt structure from the, from the company. This is a long way of saying that the objectives drive the solution. The solution doesn't drive the answer. Yeah, I th and I think what what you're what, what you're describing is the complexity of succession planning, the complexity of of incentive planning, and um, you know, in a in a 30, 30 minute podcast, we're not going to be able to describe the details uh, to our listeners. But I I think everything is is um, works together. It's a puzzle. You put it together. The the uh, the, the owners. Uh, and and the executives have have choices that meet their objectives, and that's really the focus of of your of your consulting. Absolutely, um, Peter. What what do you see as some of the um, of the incentive compensation myths that are out there? Well, one of the biggest myths is that you want to pay for individual performance, and Let's liken this to the New England Patriots. Do you like that team? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Not and, quite as happy with them this year as other years. Yeah, well, uh, you can't always get what you want. No. <laughs> but um, are you going to reward someone running a faster 400-yard dash? Or are you going to reward someone for getting to Super Bowl? Are you going to reward the input or reward the outcome? And a lot of business owners believe that you want to be rewarding the input. So working hard, working smart, staying late at work. But the answer is that uh, every sociologist that I've ever read and my own beliefs is that you want to reward for outcomes, not for the inputs. So uh, are you familiar with a guy by the name of Clayton Christensen? No. Clayton Christensen was a famous Harvard Business Review, Harvard Business School professor uh, who wrote a wonderful book called How You'll Measure Your Life. 
I would recommend that your own that your uh, listeners look it up on Amazon. How you measure your life by Clayton Christensen, and his chapter two is a chapter on incentives. And one of the things he talks about is that compensation itself can be a death trap. Compensation can reward the wrong kind of things. It can reward extrinsic rewards, but it doesn't reward autonomy, mastery, and purpose, as Daniel Pink has said often in his book, Drive. And, you know, as Clayton Christensen said, sometimes the best things to be able to do is to put on a wall everyone's compensation, make it transparent, and have no secrets there. And many business owners have, have these shadow rules and these individual programs and they're tweaking everything to a great extent and, and i think that they're over emphasizing the 40-yard dash versus versus winning the super bowl and, and and so uh there are leading indicators and lagging indicators financial metrics are always lagging indicators and while it may not feel good to wait until the outcomes if you if if the company is sold at a great price, yeah, then you get a, a a big bonus. If the company is valued for a lot of money, and you can transfer it to next generation, then you can get a big bonus. And and so the biggest myth I think is that you want to you want to reward the inputs, and you and you really want to reward the outputs, and you want to have people work together, team together, and and really work as a unified high-performing team, and uh, uh, that's probably the biggest myth. Yeah, and, and the focus has got to be on, on communicating those values and, and those incentives to, to everyone on the team. Everyone yeah, you know, the, know. The, the definition of culture, I would say, is who you hire, who you fire, and how you pay. And when you figure out who you hire, who you fire, and how you pay, that defines your company's culture. And are you egalitarian? Are you transparent? Are you basically going to be uh, focused on rewards that that, that reward outcomes? Uh, and, and as a company gets bigger, it's more and more difficult to reward the inputs. And you, need, you really need to be, get comfortable with the outputs. Mark, we, we could just keep on going because I, I, I love this topic. I think it's fascinating. I think you are just such a great uh, communicator of these issues. And, but where can our where can our listeners go to to get a deeper dive into into these concepts? How can they get that from you? So the first place I would send them is our website at boldvalue.com. That's boldvalue.com, and uh, it is part of the Sagemark brand, which is part of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Bold Value is my team with a whole number of team members, and we've written articles, white papers on topics around strategic incentives, profit centrist, synthetic equity, cash incentive plans, how to get what you want as a business owner. That's the first place I would go. Secondly, I would recommend people pick up that book, How You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. It, it's, it's a fabulous way of learning about a lot of life skills, and it's a wonderful gift to give to 
your 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 children, your siblings, uh, for those that are basically uh, growing and 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 putting together their 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 own family culture. People can call me as well. So my contact information is on the website. And again, I, I would say that um, take a look at our at our articles. Take a look at our little teasers that we have there, little short sh- uh, short pieces. Uh, learn more about strategic incentives. Use them in your business and succeed wildly. Well, Mark, this is this is fantastic, fascinating. You know what I what I love about what you're doing is it it, it really does complement you know, traditional financial planning. So, you know, our focus as financial planners is to help our families, our clients meet those objectives, whatever they might be, to provide for their families, provide for their communities. You taking, you're t- you take it a bit, one step further for the business owner. You're, you're not only helping the business owner's family and the business owner meet those personal objectives, but you're making a huge impact on, on that next level those executives that that are making all the difference to that to that business owner, and um, I don't I, I think we need to we need to take that into account. You're 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 you, this is really truly a trickle down because you've you've established these incentives that can generate even more wealth for many many people and many families. So for that, I I, I thank you. I think you're doing our communities and our and our world um, a great deal of good. Are we going to sing, Peter? Yeah, we're going to sing. <laughs> exactly. So, Mark, thank you again. I really appreciate your time, your 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 uh, your expertise, and that you would share it with us. So, um, if 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 people are are interested in and in, in want to contact you, I would recommend that your website, Bold Value. Uh, boldvalue.com, correct? That's correct. Yeah, it's a great it's a great site. Uh, if people have specific questions for me, I can be reached at raskinplanning.com and my contact information is there as well. So thanks a lot, Mark. Well, thank you, Peter, for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. This has been great and I will sing. Uh, Mark, I'll sing your praises because just listening to you, obviously there's a lot there. There's a lot that you're doing for the community. Again, I'm echoing what Peter said, but I just... I can tell you're passionate about changing people's lives. And I love that. Uh, Peter is of this cut from the same thread. He's changing families' lives uh, every day with the people that he works with. So I just want to thank you again for being on the podcast. Peter, of course, thank you for facilitating this, being an amazing host and, and bringing on amazing guests. And our last thank you is always to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. 
Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp., a broker-dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.